Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. If you're exposed yourself to blue light during the day from artificial sources, yes, you're getting a lot of the benefits of the blue light from those sources, like you would get from the sun, but you're not getting any of the healing red light. And you're also getting it in very isolated quantities, which causes damage to the eyes in the long term. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. This episode is brought to you by eczemanutritionist.com. Last week, my book, The Eczema Relief Diet and Cookbook, Short-Term Meal Plans to Identify Triggers and Soothe Flare-Ups, was launched on all major booksellers online. Since then, I've had the opportunity to answer a few questions via social media, and that got me thinking. If you have questions about how to execute this book, feel free to drop me a voicemail. You can either record one on your phone with your voice memo app and send it to hello at lessstresslife.com, or to make sure I get it, you can drop it in the SpeakPipe app. When you go to my website, kristabigler.com or lessstresslife.com, you can click on the side, the widget, and record a voicemail right there. And I will answer those questions and put them in the book resources page. Now, if you're looking for less DIY, more solid shortcut, you can book an intro call to work with me one-on-one at eczemanutritionist.com. Okay. Today on The Less Stress Life, we have Andy Mant. And you know, you would think I would not trip over that pronunciation of that name at all, but I think I got it right. So we're going to learn a little bit more about Andy here in a moment, but his background is that not that long ago, 2011, I'd like to think it's not that long ago, Andy began gaining a lot of weight, struggling with chronic fatigue and lacking energy. He tried traditional dietary approaches, which worked a little, but not completely, and then stumbled across light and its relationship to body and the health. And since then, he's become a leading figure in managing light to improve health and well-being, which honestly, I pay attention to trending topics. And blue light is a topic that we've been hearing about for a while, but the concept of light and health in general to say that and have someone know what you're talking about is still a little bit new. So, I mean, at least it feels like I haven't, I don't feel like if someone says that, you know what they're talking about. So today we're going to uncover that a little bit on all the things because there's a lot of interesting physiology that happens behind the scenes that is relevant to any of us that look at a screen, which is all of us. (laughs) So today he's a bit busy educating others on the science behind how light affects our diet, hormones, sleep, even fertility, and what we can do to take control and ultimately attain optimal wellness and health. Welcome, Andy. 
Thank you so much for having me on. That was a really, really good intro. I like it. Yeah, really appreciate that. And, and I'm so incredibly grateful that I've got this opportunity to speak to your amazing community about light and how it impacts health and hormones and, and our sleep. Yeah. So I think people are generally kind of familiar with blue light at this point. However, could we really tell someone <laughs> why it's a problem for us or why we should be more cognizant or be more aware? So if someone says, why should I care about blue light? What is the short and the long answer to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great question. And I think it's important before we dive into that is to distinguish the difference between natural light and, and artificial light. Because um, mm -hmm. there's two very sort of distinct pillars of light and, and one is great for you and, and one is not so good for you and needs to be managed. So if we start with sunlight, when you think of sunlight, you think it's big orange yellow ball in the sky that makes the sky turn blue. So it's therefore, you know, high in blue light and yellow light, etc. But it's actually a very well balanced sort of ball of light. Think of a rainbow where you've got all those different colors and they're all in the same sort of magnitude. There's a lot of red, there's a lot of yellow, there's a lot of green, there's a lot of blue, etc. And light in both artificial and natural forms has many different functions on human physiology. So for instance, blue light is really good during the day from the sun because it causes dopamine releases, serotonin production, and also helps cortisol levels be where they need to be to make us feel alert and, and awake during the day. But on the flip side, and this is true for both natural and artificial light, the blue spectrum is high energy. So it causes damage to cells in the skin and the eyes. Now, the good thing with the sunlight is that it has a high frequency of red light present in its source. And red light, how it acts on the body is it, it repairs and it heals. So any of the sort of cell damage that's being caused by blue light from the sun is being repaired by the red light. Now, on the flip side, we have artificial light. Okay, so this is the type of light that comes from, say, your office lighting, your house lights, your fridge light, your, maybe your LED backlit devices like your laptop or your monitor or your smartphone, iPad, car headlights is another example. And what this light is comprised of is predominantly blue light. So it's probably about 80% blue light, about 15% green light, and then about 5% red light. Okay. So it's very different in the, I guess, the spectral composition than sunlight. So what you do is if you're exposed yourself to blue light during the day from artificial sources, yes, you're getting a lot of the benefits of the blue light from those sources, like you would get from the sun, but you're not getting any of the healing red light. And you're also getting it in very isolated quantities, which causes damage to the eyes in the long term. So light is very important from natural sources because it's how we've evolved ancestrally. We've evolved under the sun. Our body is used to processing and translating that light to release specific hormones and to repair any of the damage from any of the side effects of the blue in the sun using the red light present. But what we've had is since the 80s and the demise of incandescent light bulbs, we've had a rise in LED light. So we're now living under these artificial suns that are from light sources, LED backlit digital devices, and they're sending the wrong messages to the brain. They're also causing damage to our eyes because there's no restorative red present and too much blue. And it's disrupting our eye health. It's causing a mass epidemic of digital eye strain, headaches when you're working in the office all day at a computer. And it's also when exposed to it after dark, which we can come on to delve deeper into that shortly, it's disrupting our sleep. I'm wondering about full spectrum light bulbs. So I call this, I think it's fun to say, hey, is this the same thing as that? So when we're talking about natural light and the colors of the rainbow coming from the sun, I guess I compare that. I call natural light and full spectrum light 
similar, like the same thing, I guess, because I recommend full spectrum light frequently in practice. Because as you're saying, it sort of triggers the release of different neurotransmitters and helps your body know that it's daytime. So when people are having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning, the first thing I tell them to do is go look at the sun. And you'd be surprised at how often people cannot do that for some reason, because they're going to Mm. work in the dark or they're doing something like that. So so sometimes they'll get a full spectrum light or they live in this place where the all sunlight is blocked by buildings or something. So they'll just full spectrum light bulbs. And I never have anyone who says, oh yeah, that makes it work. Like they all say it makes it better. So you were talking about incandescent versus LED. Can you tell us like basically that when you're saying incandescent is this the same thing like what kind of light bulb is that i mean i know it's the kind of light bulb we had before we started putting in leds right i'm not an expert so tell me more about that light bulb yeah absolutely i think back in the sort of 80s and 90s incandescent bulbs were basically in every household okay and what they emitted was a lot of sort of yellow and and orange light and not so much in the blue range so what they did was they decided in that sort of mid 90s, I I believe it was that they wanted to bring energy efficiency into their light bulb. So an incandescent light bulb, yeah, it wouldn't have a lot of blue light in it. it would have more of the restorative yellows, reds and oranges. But what it would do was it wouldn't last very long and it would use a lot of energy. So what they did was in, you know, the bid to actually save people money on their electric bills was they produced something called LED light. Now, LED light differentiates itself from incandescent light by having a very high spike in blue around about that 450 nanometer range, not so much red, but also in a bid to make it more energy efficient, it actually flickers. So when you record an LED light in slow-mo using a camera, you actually see it pulsates rather than this constant stream of light. And it's these two factors that have caused, when you look at, I guess, some of the academic literature out there, it's being sort of basically tied to things like, I guess, the flicker side is tied to things like neurological and degeneration. It's caused problems in people that have, you know, photosensitive issues such as migraines. It can trigger things like that. But also that high spike in blue is where the real problem is. We never used to have it in incandescent light bulbs. And then ever since we released LEDs, which had this massive spike in blue, you can actually see a trend of, you know, more people with things like stress, anxiety, depression, migraine headaches, you know, things like just general sort of eye strain headaches when working on computers. And you can actually see it in a case study in millennials. You know, I got my first smartphone and we had a computer in the house sort of, you know, when I was about 15 years old. And after about sort of 10 years in my mid 20s, I was well, really overweight. I had issues with stress, anxiety, low mood. And, you know, I'm not saying that you know, correlation and causation are the be all and end all. But this is just sort of what I've read in in the literature and and what I've experienced myself as well. You know, it seemed to sort of happen at the advent of LED lighting actually taking an increase in our lives. And with kids today, what you find is that given smartphones at such a young age, what are we seeing in the changes of instances of anxiety and depression and stress and social anxieties? We're seeing it more in kids in their middle teens, which is not normal. And what are they doing differently to what we did as kids. And they're getting smartphones, they're getting gaming consoles at a younger age. They're exposed now to more LED light than maybe we were because, you know, LED lights have progressed into everything. They've become stronger and they haven't had any exposure whatsoever to incandescence. And what you're also finding is relating back to, I guess, your original synopsis on full spectrum light, 
kids aren't getting out much anymore. They're not getting out in that natural full spectrum, visible and invisible sunlight. They're spending more time indoors on artificial devices, which is not the correct light for what they've evolved under. And that's just creating a massive hormone imbalance. And, you know, on the flip side, it's an easy fix because we just need to get outside more, manage light from an artificial sources a lot more cognizantly. And we wouldn't have so many instances of these chronic illnesses that are starting to accelerate in cases. You mentioned a term, light management. So how do you suggest that people expose themselves to full spectrum light or the appropriate, the proper type of light? And is the answer, do we just go outside? Or can you give people some specific recommendations that may help keep their circadian rhythms more on track? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very important to know that when you test full spectrum sunlight with a spectrometer, you'll notice that every single moment that you test it, it changes in frequencies. So it changes in the amount of specific light that are present at specific times, both visible and, and invisible. So it's very important not to just get outside for a couple of minutes at one point during the day for light to pass through your eyes and be transcribed by phototransducted, I guess, by the you know, clock system in the super charismatic nucleus, you actually need to be out at varying points of the day to actually get specific messages to suppress and secrete specific hormones and neurotransmitters. So basically, the first light that your eyes need to see in the morning is sunlight. If you're rolling over and looking at your phone first thing in the morning before seeing the sunrise or you're switching on a house light, you're in essence sending a message to your brain that it's solar noon because LED lights have the most similar spectral frequency than solar noon. So you start your body clock ticking at that time of the day, it'll be sort of midday. So you're missing out on a lot of the hormone secretion that should have happened during the sunrise. Now, when you watch the sunrise, the initial trigger will be to elevate cortisol levels. It's cortisol awakening response will be coupled with the rising sun to give you that spike of cortisol in the morning, which is healthy. You need it to give you that sort of jump start into the day, make you feel alert and awake. And also with the rising sun in the morning, you're getting that big dopamine hit, which is, I guess, the reward system in the brain. And you're also allowing the gut to produce something called serotonin. Now, serotonin is known again as like a happy neurotransmitter, but what serotonin does later on in the day, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a bit, is it mixes with something called tryptophan in the gut to produce something called melatonin. And melatonin is our sleep hormone and also a powerful antioxidant to reduce inflammation and scavenge free radicals. Also helps us sleep really well as well. So if we're missing the sunrise in the morning and just going into artificial light sources, we're missing out on all of that beneficial neurotransmitter hormone release in the morning. Now, when I was talking just then about artificial light being very similar to solar noon. If you're around artificial light all day and you're not managing that light and you're looking at your phone all day and all night, your body just thinks it's continually solar noon. And what happens during the day is that cortisol levels are high. So if you're looking at your phone constantly and your body thinks it's daytime all the time, solar noon all the time, it's not going to regulate cortisol correctly. So you're going to have one of two things happen. You can have it where it gets chronically high all the time. So you're constantly feeling stressed and anxious and you can't sleep, you can't switch off or the cycle reverses. If you miss the sunrise, you could have low cortisol levels in the morning, which makes it very difficult for you to get out of bed and actually start your day and you feel very sluggish. But then you get home after your, your shift at work or your day and your cortisol levels will start to spike before bed, which 
doesn't allow you to unwind. It makes you feel wired and awake before sleep. So you can't actually get to sleep or have good quality sleep. So I always recommend, I guess the short answer to your question is seeing the sun at least three times a day. Once at sunrise, and it can be anything from a couple of minutes to a couple of hours, depending on the time you have. Another good benefit of watching the rising sun is there's almost no UV light present. So you're not going to you know, be baking out in the sun and causing any damage to your DNA. I also recommend getting out at solar noon to get some frequencies of light then, different neurotransmitter release, different hormone secretion and suppression, but then also trying to get out around about sunset as well, because sunset actually has a really interesting characteristic in so much that it has the highest level of blue light for an instant. Okay, so about 20 minutes before the sun sets, you get a massive spike of blue light. And it's that massive spike of blue light that actually triggers a message to the body clock to say, oh, darkness is coming. Let's start unwinding the cortisol. Let's start getting ready to mix the serotonin and the tryptophan to make the sleep hormone melatonin later on. And if we miss that spike at, at sunset, the amount of melatonin that we'll produce later on in the evening has actually been shown in studies to be slightly less. So those are the three most important times during the day to actually witness full spectrum light. I love it. Now when it, yeah. So it's actually quite simple to do. And the thing is, man have invented something that really messes up that process. And they've invented two things. They've invented the nine till five working week. And they've also invented something called daylight savings. And those two things absolutely screw this up for a lot of people. I'm very lucky in Australia, in Perth, that we don't have daylight savings. Um, and I'm lucky that I don't work in a nine till five anymore. I run my company and can work the hours I want to work, albeit they're actually more hours, but I can actually sync it with the sun. Where daylight savings has messed things up is that people now in winter months, and I guess in North America and Europe at the moment, this is sort of coming out of it now, but you know, during that sort of November, December, Jan time, you have very dark mornings and you seem to be getting up in the dark, going to work indoors under artificial light when it's light outside or lightish, I guess it's cloudy, and then coming home in the dark. So you don't actually get a chance to see a lot of this, this sunlight. And it's created this massive issue in the Northern Hemisphere called seasonal affective disorder in the winter months. And, you know, this is, I guess, where you sort of mentioned earlier, full spectrum sort of lighting, which, you know, you can get sad lamps that can help people out during those months. But what I recommend to people is that sunlight's an interesting one. You don't have to have beautiful blue skies and warm temperatures to be out in the sun. The light that is passing through the clouds is still the same. So... I always say that in the morning, if you're getting up in the morning and the sun hasn't risen yet, you need to put light management practices in place, like have some red light bulbs in your house that in the mornings and winter months, you can put red light on because that, that doesn't send any message to the brain that the sun has risen yet. It's still like our ancestors would have been like around a campfire. This stuff doesn't impact your melatonin or your hormone levels, but also wearing blue light blocking glasses in the morning, in fact, before the sun rises. And then if you're at work, for an hour before the sunrise, you can then go outside for a couple of minutes to see that sun, then take your blue blockers off and experience the benefits of a full spectrum light. So that covers, I guess, the full spectrum outside of things. But then I can go on to talk about, I guess, how to manage the artificial side a little bit more as, as well. I really just want to put a stake in the ground and say, here's an action mm -hmm. item, right? Set your cell phone alarm whenever someone needs to create a new habit. That's my first recommendation. Just create an alarm <laughs> to remind yourself to go out and look at the sun for 100 seconds. And I love how you addressed, yeah, what if you go to work before the sun rises? And you also addressed, <sighs> you're reading my brain here. I'm about mm -hmm. to buy a 
a red light for its regenerative properties. And I was kind of wondering how, like, as you said, where that fits, because it fits anytime. But I guess my question was, hey, if people are in this dark climate, you know, should they have a light box at a certain time? Because is that their best next thing, right? I love the free option. I love the sunlight. I love that you qualified that it doesn't matter if it's cloudy, because that's a real problem for a lot of people. I mean, I hear their disagreements with me. They're like, oh my gosh, I cannot see around my building or it's very dark here or whatever. And some people just choose to buy a box and that's fine. So yeah, I was just kind of wondering what the suggestions were in that case. And it sounds like yeah. you know, when in need, get a full spectrum light if you need it. Otherwise, you gave some great examples on how to use what nature offers. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's probably worth applying some context quickly to the full spectrum artificial light boxes as well, mm-hmm. that they are good and they are the next best thing to sunlight. Okay, nothing will ever replace sunlight. We all know this. And the reason it won't is because the LEDs that are present in your light box, because they're typically plugged into an alternating current, they will flicker. So that's an issue for you. But also full spectrum light to, I guess, light researchers like myself means that it's invisible and visible light. So the sun contains invisible light frequencies like UV, A, B, and C, and infrared, far and infrared near. And it is actually invisible light frequencies that are very important as well at specific times of the day. And you don't get those in light boxes. So it's almost like saying you've got on the spectrum of sunlight from good to bad, you've got sunlight, light box, incandescent LED. So it's just worth caveating that people might listen to this thinking, oh, the easy way out, just go and get a light box, don't have to worry about the sun. Ideally, you need to be out in that sun, but, you know, completely understand that we live very different lives and it might not be possible for a small fraction of the population or they may have severe issues that they need a light box for or they're working night shifts, for instance, and getting sunlight during the day is very difficult because that's when they sleep. So then, you know, utilizing things like the light, full spectrum light box is a really good idea. I love that you gave the priority there, right? Sun to full spectrum light to incandescent, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we have qualified natural and artificial light, and we talked about red and blue light, which I love because it's a precursor to another episode, which is going to be great. (laughs) And so you mentioned that blue light impacts skin as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So until about, and this is like pretty hot off the press from scientific standpoints, because normally it's about 15 years before this gets out to the public domain. So this is like the future being basically told to your community now, because by the time the mass media picks it up, we would have moved on a lot. With the eye, until about 18 months ago, you know, it was very widely known that there was opsins, okay, present in the eye. So you'd have rhodopsin, for instance, you'd have something called melanopsin. And what these are, these are light sensitive photoreceptors. Opsins. Okay. Yes. Opsins. So they're present in the eye and they basically pick up specific frequencies of light and then they translate them to the body clock and the brain. Okay, so that's how it all works in terms of telling the time through light. Now, what they decided to do was they did this study on skin about 18 months ago, and they weren't looking for any opsins. Okay, they were just doing this random study on skin. But what they found was that basically shining a light on skin cells showed that there was a change in the expression of clock mechanism genes within the skin. And they narrowed it down to a frequency of light at 480 nanometers, okay? So what that means is that's very high-end blue light. And what we know from that study is that the opsin that is most sensitive to 480 nanometer blue light is something called melanopsin, which we only thought was present in the eye. And, And 
you know, caused us to go and watch the sunrise and solar noon. And it would send these messages to the brain telling the time. But it's actually in the skin. It's in the fat cells and it's in the brain. So the interesting thing is, is that if you're wearing blue light blocking glasses after dark, you know that blue light is going to, you know, negatively impact your sleep. You know that you can't produce melatonin in the presence of blue light and you're wearing your blue light glasses. If you've still got the TV on and your skin is exposed to that TV, that's going to somewhat suppress the secretion of melatonin because melanopsin, which is the photoreceptor of blue light, is present in the skin. So, you know, a lot of people don't notice. They think that popping on a pair of blue light blocking glasses is going to completely solve their problems after dark. When in fact, it actually isn't. It's probably about 80% solved, but you've still got major impact of, of blue light on the skin, actually sending messages to your suprachiasmatic nucleus and body clock to tell the time. Now, from a circadian standpoint, obviously that is an absolute disaster, but there's actually another discovery that came out three months ago that we thought that the master body clock was the governor of all of the clock mechanisms in our body. So we've got little clocks in all the cells in our bodies. Okay. And then there was a discovery three months ago that we actually have loads of little body clocks in our skin. Okay. That can tell the time. Now, what was fascinating about this study was that the skin's body clock worked completely separately from our master clock. Okay. And the master clock is governed by light coming through the eyes. So it's completely separate. So what they looked at in this study was that they looked at what were the two phases from a circadian standpoint of the skin and its clock system. And it had two systems exactly the same as our master clock. One's governed by light. Okay. So light basically put the skin into active mode. Okay. What it was needed during the day to perform at its best. But what it also needed was it had a dark phase. So when they actually took light away from skin cells in the lab and created darkness, they found that the skin went into repair and recovery mode. Okay, so it started to heal any of the damage that might have happened during the day from blue light or UV light from pollution, information, metabolic processes. And what they did was during this study is they shone different types of light on the skin and found that red light acted in the same way as darkness. The skin repaired itself. Orange light, yellow light, the skin repaired itself. But when they exposed and shone blue and green light onto the skin, it remained active. It didn't go into this phase where it needed to repair and restore. So this sort of led me to critically sort of look into this being sort of thinking a little bit more about the demonization of ultraviolet light in the cause of melanoma. So there's no doubt in the literature that UV light causes cell damage. Okay, much like when you look at the literature, blue light causes cell damage. But what we do is after a day in the sun, we might have gone a little bit pink, too much UV light. What do we do? We don't come home and sit in complete darkness or just red light or sit around a campfire. We come home and expose ourselves to artificial blue and green light. And this light doesn't allow our skin to repair itself. So any of the damage that has been caused by UV light during the day is not getting a chance to repair itself. So it led me to think that, you know, in Australia, we have the highest levels of sun, the highest levels of sunscreen use, yet we have the highest level of skin cancer and melanoma in the world. And why is that? Is it a case that, and again, these are only theories, is it a case of, you know, yeah, we're getting damaged by UV light, which is a natural thing that happens, but ancestrally, we would have been repaired by red light and darkness because our circadian rhythm would have been able to allow skin to repair and restore and get really high levels of autophagy and apoptosis at a cellular level. Whereas now we're living in an environment devoid of darkness, nothing can repair itself. And we're just living in this chronic state of high inflammation and lack of repair. 
fun. I love thinking about things from the inside out, but I love these tools from the outside in that we can actually use and that can, in theory, be simple. But I don't know. I'm like this. Maybe people who are listening like this, I need to understand all the whys so I get more Mm. diligent about wearing my blue light blockers, right? Or And I also want to re-emphasize something you said. So we used to think that really these opsins or photoreceptors were just in our eyes, but now we know they're in our skin. Mm-hmm. And they're independent of what's happening in our eye that's triggering the super charismatic nucleus, which is triggering our, I believe, our master body clock. That's how I've always understood yeah. <laughs> it. The skin has its separate photoreceptors. And so that's another piece. I mean, it's sort of like we're still learning about that, right? I mean, because it's extremely yes. new. I am going to need the studies that you're talking about because absolutely definitely, definitely affects the people I serve as well. So this brings me to, I mean, of course, we're talking a lot about blue light. It's your jam. But the in- intro really starts talking about your health and you became intrigued by light and health. And so I'm kind of curious what you saw as a result of altering or adapting your light management or light and health or whatever you did. Because I mean, it's like the intro is the dramatic, like, oh my gosh, there's the problems, but we didn't really like segue into the good part. So tell us about how light contributed to awesomeness in your life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I like to think of myself as someone that understands light quite well, but I'm not someone that's very sort of, you know, like dogmatic or, you know, act as a zealot in that specific area. I understand that there's a lot of pillars of health that one needs to adhere to in in order to get the sort of optimal health and wellness. So, you know, you get a lot of people that go out there and go, diet's the only thing you need, sod exercise, sod light. Whereas I guess my approach is more, there's a lot of pillars, you know, there's EMF management, blue light management, exercise, diet, and community. And all those things contribute to, you know, perfect well-being in humans. Light became a big factor in my life after I went through sort of a dieting stage. You know, I came to Australia quite overweight. I basically went and tried to seek professional help in sort of managing the weight, you know, go to doctors, what do I need to do? Yeah, cut calories, that's all you need to do. Didn't work for me, just ended up feeling hungry and miserable. So I basically thought, right, I'm going to think and figure this out for myself. And I initially went on a ketogenic diet, lost a lot of weight. And then I went to a more plant focused diet. I don't believe I should go full vegan. I also don't believe I should go full carnivore. I think, you know, as long as your diet's plant focused with some animal protein in there um, from time to time, it's good. And I got into, you know, good shape, worked out quite a lot, have done for the last sort of five, six years. But one thing I found that didn't improve, two things actually that didn't improve for me was that I always had these feelings of anxiousness, didn't really improve through diet and exercise, which was strange. Again, this is me talking anecdotally. And ever since I was about 14 years old, obviously undergoing a lot of hormonal changes at that time, going for puberty, my sleep was never good. I could never sleep through the night and I would always feel a bit groggy. And I thought, you know, as as my teen years went on that, you know, it would be fine. And, you know, it's just developing. It's all good. When I'm in my 20s, I'll be fine. But nothing improved. So when I kind of sorted my and diet and exercise out, I thought to myself, wow, my sleep isn't improving and I'm still really anxious. Like what's going on here? And I just sort of stumbled across light. There were some people talking about it online and blue blocking glasses. And I just thought, oh, this is just woo, you know, it's just nonsense. Until I started actually reading a lot of studies on it. And I was like, wow, we are actually beings of light. Everything in our world is governed by light and darkness from the food we eat, from how we operate our day and from when we should exercise and when we should eat is all governed by 
frequencies of light. And it was so interesting. And what I found was I went on Amazon to start with and just bought myself a cheap pair of blue light glasses and stuck them on. And they were these horrible, ugly things that my wife was just like, what are you doing? But I found that my sleep improved a bit and the feelings of anxiety were, were going down a little bit. So I thought, oh, there's definitely something to this here. And then I started reading about how natural light is great and watching the sunrise. And I, I was never a morning person. I always used to want to lay in until the latest time possible. And at the weekends, I wouldn't get out of bed till like 10 a.m. and stuff like that. And I was reading, you know, by missing out on the sunrise, you know, I was missing out on all these hormones and neurotransmitters that would help me sleep later on in the day and make me feel alert and awake. And I started just getting up watching the sunrise. And then I found after about a week of doing that, I was getting such amazing sleep. And then off the back of getting such amazing sleep, after about a month, I just had no feelings of, you know, that in the pit of the stomach of that anxiety for no reason. And I was just like, wow, there's something to this here. And that's when it was like a trigger moment for me to be like, wow, like there's definitely something to this light management. And what can I do about it? And, and the funny thing was that after using these cheap blue blockers that I bought from Amazon for, for a few months, I kind of regressed a little bit. I started my sleep wasn't as good and feelings of anxiety started to come back again. And that was when I really started to delve into, well, are these glasses actually doing what they say they should be doing? Are they blocking basically the frequencies of light that one should be blocking after dark to get optimal sleep? And this is where I was sort of fate stepped in. I had some friends in optics labs in Australia and I bought myself 20 pairs of different blue light blocking glasses, you know, the amber ones that people wear after dark to get good sleep. And I found a couple of studies that pointed to something called a melatonin disruption zone in light. And it was very specific in both these studies that there was a specific zone of light that you had to block 100% of in order to get like optimal melatonin secretion. And that was 100% of all blue light and pretty much all of green light bar the last 20 nanometers. So for the geeks out there like me and you, that was between 400 to 550 nanometers of light because light's measured in nanometers, goes all the way from like 380 all the way up to like 700 in the visible range. And you needed to block this specific segment of light. And out of all 20 of these blue blockers that we tested in the lab, not one of them blocked in that range 100% of the light. And that was the eureka moment for us. We were just like, wow, we need to actually create something that blocks 100% in this range. And that was how Blue Blocks, my company was born. And we put the lab guys to the test and said, we want you to produce this specific lens for after dark. And can you do it? And we ran it through a spectral analyzer. And we found that we achieved 100% light blocking in that range that no one else had managed to achieve. And I started trialing them out. And yeah, to this day, I've been wearing them for you know, a good three years now and nothing's regressed in terms of sleep. And, you know, when we first started the company, we sent them out to about 50 people that are all already using blue blocking glasses that were quite big in their field for sleep and, and wellness and sort of holistic alternative health. And we had a hundred percent of those people come back to us and basically say, yeah, these are game changing. You've got something here. So, you know, we just got to be careful. I think when we are looking to manage light that we're not opting for that cheap version you know it's very much like you know that supplement brands you know if people are going out and buying the cheapest one it might not have the same efficacy than something that has got a lot of evidence and integrity and you know work and science that has gone behind it and that's why all of the people that have our product and we've even adopted this now in, in a lot of how we talk about our glasses is that we're the only evidence-based blue light management company we don't go and grab a load of cheap glasses from China and sell them. We make them in Optics Lab in Australia and we put a lot of thought and evidence and science behind, I guess, the technology to manage light.
Yeah. I love that you pretty much answered all my questions, <laughs> which was, you know, what percentage of blue light needs to be blocked? And the melatonin disruption zone is 100% of blue light and almost, except for, I believe, 20 nanometers of the green light. Yes. And so when you're looking, and we were talking about this off air, like, how do you select something? It's probably, it's like any unregulated industry. Um, yeah. You just have to know your company. And so this is the tricky part, because if someone uses something, it doesn't really feel any different or doesn't use it in the way to feel it different. It's a bit challenging. It decreases compliance, <laughs> so to speak, or it's, we're less likely to use it in theory. So with blue blockers, do they need to look orange or is there a way to block blue lights without them being so amber colored? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really good question because there's a lot of misinformation out there about blue light glasses. And this is why I sort of took it on myself all those years ago to become an expert in light. I wanted to empower people with the knowledge that I found. And if they choose to invest in blue light glasses, whether it be from Blue Blocks or another company, what they need to look for in order to make sure they're choosing the best option for their health. Now, what's happened is a couple of years ago, there's been a real influx of computer glasses to the market by companies that are trying to ride a trend. Blue light is trending. There's no doubt about that. And they wanted to create these companies, these glasses that they got from China. Anyone can buy them. You know, just go on Alibaba and look up computer glasses. You can buy them in bulk and start a company up in, a, in about a month. What these computer glasses do is that they focus on something called violet light, which actually isn't present in artificial light. So they're actually not doing anything to protect you against artificial blue light. But it's also impossible to filter blue light from a clear lens source. When you look at a color wheel, the opposing color on that wheel will block the other color of light. So for instance, if you pass full spectrum light through a red lens, you will block a lot of green and blue light. If you pass white light through a yellow lens, you will filter out lower end of blue, like a pale blue side of things. So that's how, I guess, light works when it's passed through specific filters from a biophysics standpoint. Pass full spectrum light through a clear lens and get complete blockage of blue and green light. It's just not physically possible. You can't do it. So what has sort of frustrated me is these companies out there that are selling these clear glasses are calling them blue blockers and they don't block anything. You know, they, they filter a bit of violet light and they have this little scam that they use. And, and I'm sure a few people have seen it where you get this little pen that comes and you shine it on like a bit of paper that a test area that they give you and it burns a little hole in it or comes up purple and then you put the glasses the clear glasses in front of it and then shine that light through it and it doesn't show up on the test paper and they're like blocks all blue light look at this i did a youtube video testing that pen and it actually only has light at 380 nanometers which is violet there's zero blue in it so it's just this marketing ploy to say look you don't need orange and red lenses after dark you can just wear clear glasses best, they're blocking maybe 20% of blue light, but in about 90% of cases, they're blocking no blue light. So you need to avoid clear glasses for after dark, and you need to opt for not even like a light amber lens. It needs to be that deep amber red lens, and it doesn't stop there. You need to ask for spectral test results. So if you go to Blue Blocks or if you go to another blue light blocking glasses company, before you buy, make sure you have seen their test report. And it's very easy to see because it will show you this sort of color chart that will show if there's any blue or green light present when their lenses are tested for a spectrometer. If they can't produce that, don't buy from them because it's just BS. And two, if they produce it and it's not blocking 100% of light between the numbers 400 and 550 on the x-axis, then just avoid it as well. 
those are the things to look for. Now, clear lenses do have a role to play in light management, but only during the day. So as we mentioned earlier, we're getting too much blue light and not enough red light from artificial sources. So one of the hacks to actually get less eye damage and headaches and eye strain during the day is to filter down a little bit of the blue light. And then you can do free hacks like put salt lamps next to your computer and things like that to balance the blue spectrum. But the computer glasses, you need to make sure that they focus on the blue, not the violet light. So again, when you're looking to buy computer glasses, the clear ones, and again, not saying to come and buy them from Blue Blocks, you buy them from wherever you want to buy them from. Just make sure that when you go on there, you speak to the people and say, can you tell me what percentage of blue light you block and in what range does that block? And also, can you send me a spectral analysis report? And you can then look at it and go, is it reducing down blue light or is it focusing on violet light? And if it's focusing on violet light, don't buy the product. If it's focusing on blue light, buy the product. But I can save people the time and, and say that 90% of the computer glasses companies out there, I'm not going to name any, but 90% of them and the biggest brands out there as well, do not even focus on blue light. They know nothing about biophysics. They know nothing about quantum biology. And they don't know anything about how light works in the human physiological system. They just want to take your money and ride a trend. So just be very careful of where you're going to buy your product. Make sure you partner with a company that educates. And there is a few of us out there that do educate and make sure that you engage engage with these companies before you commit to buying. Don't just go on Amazon and go, yeah, that looks good. It's got a few good reviews. I'll take it. Actually do your due diligence and find out if these guys know about the science before you actually buy and make sure they produce the evidence that shows and proves that their glasses block exactly what they say they block and that they block in line with what I'm saying they should block, which is 400 to 550 nanometers for your after dark glasses. And during the day, you want at least 30% of blue light reduced, okay, between 400 and 495 nanometers. If a brand can't produce the lens report or it doesn't block or filter within those ranges for day and night, walk away, save your money and find a company where their glasses actually do block in that range because that is what the peer-reviewed academic studies and the clinical trials are showing that you need to block if you want optimal light management and light hygiene. So you threw out a new thing here, which was, hey, I didn't know we needed a computer. So this is good. This is good for everyone. I'm over here like I got these fancy computer glasses and they block 20 to 30%. I believe I'm going to go back and check now because now, <laughs> now you got me wondering. So we've got computer glasses to give you because you can have that eye fatigue from looking at the screen during the day. And so we're looking for a little less blue light blocking, mm -hmm. like being very essential because it's normal to have some blue light at that time. I think that's what we're where we're going here. Correct. And then in the evening, we're looking to block it completely. So that way it's not disrupting basically melatonin production, essentially, mm -hmm. right? So Spot on. this brings me back and I'll mention, I'm just going to reiterate Nighttime glasses, amber colored only, need to block four to 500 nanometers. Correct me if I'm wrong. And during the day. Four, five, fifty. Thank you. I knew there was something <laughs> out there. My notes. It's so good. And then during the day, four to 495 should be a requirement. Is there a problem with wearing the amber ones during the day for computer use? Do you see that as an issue? Exactly the same issue as wearing the clear glasses after dark. They're not doing what they're supposed to. If you're wearing orange glasses or red lenses during the day, you aren't allowing any blue light to pass through your eyes. And during the day, you need blue light to pass through your eyes to be optimal and to have the correct hormone secretion. And also, if you wore our Sleep Plus glasses during the day, you'd be asleep in two hours without a shadow of a doubt. It would literally put you to sleep. So yeah, light isn't something that can be managed the same throughout the day. This is why there's different types of glasses to wear. You need the computer glasses during the day. You need to be outside during the day 
with your bare eyes looking not into the sun, but, you know, into the environment outside. But then you also need to block blue light after dark. So, yeah, you can't mix the two up at all. You need yeah, yeah, orange glasses after the sun has set and the clear glasses if you're working under artificial light during the day only. And the two of them can't be switched around. And this is why all of the other blue light glasses companies out there either sell amber lenses or they either sell clear lenses. And then they try and market them as like, yeah, this is fine. Just this, You just wear these all day, every day, in the evening, whatever. Whereas actually our light needs change throughout the day. This is why we have a clear lens, a yellow lens and a red lens. And there's different times that one should wear at least two of those lenses. Everyone should wear sleep plus after dark. And then during the day, people should either wear clear or a yellow lens, depending on how sensitive they are to artificial light. Well, the good news is I can now go shopping because I don't have amber (laughs) lenses right now that I know of. There was a period of time where I was buying glasses and my six-year-old would just walk off with them and she'd be wearing the glasses, which is fine, wonderful, but it was like (laughs) hilarious. So who knows where my other ones are? And obviously, I got to step up my quality, right? When we say don't go on Amazon and buy it, like do as we say, not as we do. Just kidding, because we all started there, right? And it's like, "Eh, I don't know if these are doing anything. And you don't know if they're doing anything. And a lot of people might even have the amber glasses now from Amazon, but maybe it's time for an upgrade, like look for a company that's actually going to get you optimal results. It's always like, it's always a funny one with me. And it's the same with nutrition and exercise and everything. It's it's like, why would you want to be 80% your best self? Why not be 90%, 95, 100%? And let's all start looking for not racing to the bottom in terms of let's get the cheapest thing and this it'll do. Let's actually invest in our health you know, blue blockers will last forever. So rather than spend $20 on one that's really going to make you 70, 80% better, why not go and spend $90, $100 on a pair that, you know, is going to last you for a lifetime and actually elevate you to almost where you need to be in terms of your optimal self. So see it as an investment, not as something that's a one-time purchase. That's what I always say in, in anything, supplements, blue light management, blocking, everything. And now I haven't looked at all the glasses that Blue Blocks has to offer, but I did see your wife mention, and you mentioned it earlier, how ugly your other Blue Blockers were. So I'm looking, I'm hoping there's some cool bright colors because I like a good statement. So I'm excited to go shopping after this. But I have one more kind of nerd question. You were talking about when you did manufacturing Mm. and production, you kind of said, hey, to the whoever the manufacturer is, this Mm. is what I need. So I guess my question is, I was talking to an optometrist before this interview. And so we were talking about, so do you treat the back and the front of the lens for light that comes in behind the lens? Is it like baked in or coated on? How did you pick a manufacturer? We know most things are not made in the US, but how did you find a reputable person to help you make glasses when no one else was doing that? Yeah, absolutely. The first look though is is just look locally within your country. What I found when I was speaking to China was they just wanted to sell you an off-the-shelf product. They had no real zest for innovation. And don't get me wrong, when I went to labs here in Australia, they all looked at me as if I was crazy. They were just like, why do you want to do this? And it took me a while to convince one of them to hear me out and just say, look, can you just do it? Like, Here's some money, just get it done for me. The tint that we produced, we add into something called a tint bath. Okay, and then they're cooked at specific high temperatures with the lenses in them for about two hours per lens. So it's quite a laborious process. So one that can really only be done in a large optics lab. And it bakes the back, the sides and front of the lenses. So there's no refraction or reflection of blue light. And it's quite a good sort of segue into peripheral light as well, because we get a lot of questions about, well, what about the light coming in from the side of the lenses? Don't you need fully wraparound lenses to be 100% you know, efficient? And it's actually 
not the case. We actually worked with a couple of doctors to actually look into solutions and basically studies that showed, I guess, the location of something called IPRGC, which are like the interretinal interganglion cells that are basically located in the eye. Okay. And what they do is they actually are the phototransducting cells that are in the eye that actually filter light through opsins as well, and then pass the message on to the brain. Now, when you actually look at where they're located within the eye, they're actually located deep within the inner retina. So any light that shines in from the side of your eyes and hits your eyes from the side doesn't actually send any messages from the brain. You need light to actually pass through the eyes straight on for them to actually impact the IPRGC cells and send messages to the brain. So it's not a case of either having blue light blocking glasses on and, and reflection happening off the back of the inside of the lens and then beaming through the inner retina into the IPRGCs. That doesn't happen because we tint the backside and it absorbs and doesn't reflect the specific blue and green frequencies. So peripheral light isn't an issue. So people that seem to think you have to wear sort of wraparound Oakley style sunglasses as blue blockers to get the full benefit. It's, it's actually incorrect. When you look at the physiology and placement of IPRGCs in the eye system, peripheral light actually has little to no bearing whatsoever on how light is phototransducted to the brain. Cool. So Andy, where can people find you online? Yeah. So if people want to find me personally, then Instagram is probably the best place. It's I am Andy Mant is the handle. In terms of blue blocks, Come and check us out on Instagram as well, Blue Blocks Official. And blueblocks.com, we've got so much education on there. It's not just a, a website full of glasses for sale. It's like 90% education. There's blogs and learn pages. So come and have a little bit more of a read on light and empower yourselves. So that's blueblocks.com. So that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. And we also have a Facebook group, which is pretty big now. It's about 6,000 people in there. And it's called Light and Health. And it's where people can post questions about their light environment. And the community then help people with free hacks or solutions to basically improving their light environment. And they're probably the best places to find us. I write a lot of blogs. I do a lot of YouTube videos as well. So if people look up Blue Blocks on YouTube, they'll see some educational videos on there. So depending on how you learn, whether it's audio, visual, writing, you know, reading, one of those platforms should really have you covered. Perfect. And there's a coupon code for Blue Blocks and it's less stressed for 15% off. And that will be in the show notes. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on because I feel so much more aware of what's going on with blue light and being able to speak about it. So I really appreciate this. And hopefully we can chat again about some different because there's so many ways to spin this sports and reproduction and other things. Mm. So I think we'll have a chance to talk about light again. Thanks again, Andy. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stressed Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stressed Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 